1992, scientists wrote an article in the Journal of Nature. And what they discussed was the discovery of a 5,000-year-old jug at the Godin Temple in the central Zagros Mountain of Iran. And what was in that jug? Well, it was the earliest trace of beer ever discovered. Patrick McGovern was an archaeologist who is also known as one of the world's experts on fermented beverages. And he identified that oldest known barley beer from Iran's Zagros Mountains. And they dated it back to 3400 BC. And that showed that beer didn't originate with the Romans thousands of years earlier. In fact, the Chinese brewed a type of beer, but the product which became the most popular form of beer in the ancient world was created by the Samaritans. And it most likely began over 10,000 years ago at that golden Godin Tepe in the mountains. And they were able to identify it as beer from the residue found in those ancient containers. Beer has always been popular in the ancient world. In fact, there was a poem that talked about the god of wisdom, Iana, describing two deities drinking beer together. And the god of wisdom, Inki, got so intoxicated that he gave away the sacred law of civilization. And then in another poem, a Sumerian poem called the Hymn to Nikasi is a song of praise to Ninkasi, who was also the goddess of beer. And they discovered that the first written recipe for beer had been written in 1800 BCE. Also, in the Samaritan Babylonian story, the Epic of Gilgamesh, the hero in Kudu gets civilized when he goes to the temple of a harlot. And the temple of the harlot, he met Shamat, who was the harlot, and she taught him how to drink beer. And later on in the story, a barmaid named Siduri talked to Gilgamesh about giving up his quest for the meaning of life and just told him, look, just enjoy all that life has to offer, including beer. Now, the U.S. beer industry in 2020, here are some stats from the National Brewery Association. The U.S. beer industry shipped 204 0.8 million barrels of beer in the world. 2020, the U.S. beer industry shipped the equivalent of more than 2.8 billion cases of 24 12-ounce containers. 
The industry also shipped approximately 3.3 million barrels of cider and berry, perry, and other fermented products. That's the equivalent to more than 45 million cases. And in 2020, in the United States, 82% of all beer was domestically produced within the United States, and there was about 18% that was imported from more than 100 different countries around the world. So the idea of drinking beer, let's take away the concept of drinking beer to intoxication for the purpose of this podcast or as a stimulant for the purpose of this podcast. But for the purpose of this episode, let's look at beer as a symbol of having a conversation, a conversation around hearing. And ponder with me for a minute, what would it be like, would it be possible to have a beer with Jesus. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. We are going on a journey using music and history as a roadmap, and at the end, hopefully, we will have taken something old to teach us something new. This is the intersection between the spiritual and the secular, unlikely encounters in unexpected places, and exploration of how I happened to think about what is possible, all the while embracing who you are, where you are, and how together, whether it be one, two, or many, perhaps we can make our part of the world a little bit better than it currently is. I hope to educate, inform, and inspire. This is the Jesus series. Now, this is a special five-part series exploring unlikely encounters with Jesus, not necessarily in the church, but in secular music by secular artists. And this is part three of the Jesus series. And today, I want to talk about the song, Beer with Jesus. Now, Beer with Jesus is a country song recorded by an American country singer named Thomas Rhett. It was released in September of 2012, and it was the second single from his debut album, It Goes Like This. And Rhett wrote the song with Rick Huckabee and Lance Miller. And Rhett said this when he was interviewed about the song. He said, the meaning is this. If Jesus were here today, walking in the flesh like he was back when he was here, I'd probably take him down to the Flying Saucer in Nashville and order up a new castle and just pick his brain about life. I'd ask him if I was doing all right. And I'd ask him, if some of the people in my life that are close to me that have died, how they're doing in heaven. So it just really is a personal song to me. The personal song, the conversation, the idea of going someplace with another person and talking. Here's some of the lyrics to kind of back that point and emphasize it. If I could have a beer with Jesus, heaven knows I'd sip it nice and slow. I'd try to pick a place that ain't too crowded or gladly go wherever he wants to go. You can bet I'd order up a couple tall ones. Tell the waitress, put them on my tab. I'd be sure to let him do the talking. And I would do the listening. And he said, I'd be careful when I got the chance to ask. So there's four things going on here that I noticed. Companionship. Spending time with another person serving another person by putting it on the tab and listening. These are the elements in the beginning of a conversation and a conversation around healing. 
think about this after a disappointing event occurs, you know, it could be the death of a relative or not getting a job promotion or health issues. In those moments, life can appear to be a march toward a continuous stream of disappointment. But we know that friends and relatives will pass away. So it confirms our fears. And then when our fears come true, we wish we could do something about it. But we can't. These occurrences are out of our control. So the idea of having a beer, a conversation to figure things out or to gain comfort or just sit in the unknown with another person because our sadness is real. And at times, it can feel like life is an endless preparation for eternal sadness, that joy could be elusive or joy is for other people. But then you could tell yourself that your moments of joy are few, far between, and fleeting. Thus, the need for conversation. Conversation over beer. Over beer with Jesus to talk about healing. You can find people who were involved in the healing process of others throughout history. One such person, her name was Jane Minor. And Jane Minor was a slave and she was granted her freedom from slavery because she had the ability to comfort and treat those who were ailing. And she used over time her liberty to purchase the freedom of others who were in bondage. And at the time where she was living, she was able to purchase over her lifetime the freedom of at least 16 slaves. Now, we discovered her life and her birth. We found a deed recorded by Benjamin Harrison, May, who talked about freeing a woman by the name of Genesee Snow because she was willing to help other slaves during an epidemic during a virus or a flu outbreak, time of great sickness. And then Genesee Snow changed her name to Jane Minor. And May wrote when he put the deed in that the woman he freed, he wrote for several acts of extraordinary merit in nursing at the imminent risk of her own health and safety, exercising the most unexampled patience and attention and watching over the sick beds of several individuals of this town as well as on account of my belief that she will in the future continue to perform similar acts. So freedom through serving and healing others. Now, over the next 33 years, Jane Minor earned her living by caring for the sick. And a woman named Susan Lesbach, Les Lebsock wrote a book about Black women in slavery. And she said that Minor was skilled and medically very gifted, a nurturing healer and somebody that patients really responded to. There have records of receipts for medical services that Minor performed in the early and mid 1850s. So they show a $5 payment given to her for helping uh, a boy in November. Another receipt in 1855 showed that she was paid for helping a servant boy during healing when he was sick. And it was known that she would use her earnings to purchase the freedom 
of enslaved women and children in Petersburg, where she lived, a small town. And it, the price of a healthy adult slave could be several hundred dollars that Leb Sock said in her book. And they found a document that showed that in one instance, she paid $1,500 to purchase a woman named Emily Smith and her five children. So there you have it. You have a woman who was using her ability to heal others to in turn liberate other people. How does this occur? How does this happen? How do you develop the heart to care for other people so that you would use your lifetime of work and service to help other people find freedom? You know, you can begin the healing process by asking questions. And in the song, the artist asked these questions. He would ask Jesus, how do you turn the other cheek to save a sorry soul like me? Another question, do you hear the prayers that I send? What happens after life ends? He asks again, and when you think you're coming back again, I tell everyone, but no one would believe it, if I could have a beer with Jesus. Jen Williamson is a writer and a suicide loss survivor. And she discusses the idea of beginning the healing process by asking questions, similar to the artist in the song asking questions. So how is my heart today is one question. A second question could be, how can I help you today? Or what do I need to feel supported today? In what minuscule way can I be a better version of myself today? Who might I be if I knew everything would be all right? Where could I notice beauty today? What do I want to pay attention to today? Or what matters to me today? Or number seven, how can I feel love today? Or how have I been loved today? It's the question asking process when you sit down to have a hypothetical beer with Jesus or a literal conversation with another person over a beverage. Because conversations have healing power. You know, there was a study done by Lieberman and then another study done by Vago and Silberswag. And they said that verbalizing helps heal our emotional pain. And in those neuroscience studies, they found that labeling our feelings reduces activation in the amygdala, and our, that's our brain's alarm system that triggers our fight or flight reaction. So when we give words to our emotions and we move away from the reactivity by activating those parts of the brain to deal with language and meaning in the right ventricular prefrontal cortex, we become less reactive and more mindfully aware. And that's what they draw that conclusion in the study. You do that in a conversation. They again say that you can heal by noting and labeling the emotions. 
in those conversations, by saying that I'm sad, by saying that I'm anxious, by saying that I'm confused. We can watch those feelings begin to fade from our minds. We get more mindful, more centered, and more at peace. Lieberman says that, and we do that in a conversation. So the healing process begins by sitting, asking, listening, and talking with those in your world. Today, we're exposed to so much suffering in the world. And if you spend too much time consuming news and social media, you may come to believe that this is all there is, but it isn't. As much as suffering goes on in the world and hurt that exists in the world, there is also time and spaces to heal, to reconcile, and to begin again, to start new projects, to make new friends, to mourn the loss of those who we have lost, and to gain new confidence in our abilities and make a positive contribution from where you are. Jane Miner was in a very small, tiny town, and she was able to make a difference in the lives of the people that she served in her tiny spot in the world. You see, we can't serve everybody, even though the world shows us, shows us everybody, shows us a whole lot of people. But we can sit in our own little spot and work from there and doing exactly what we're doing right now and at this moment in time. So take advantage of it. And maybe you, too, can sit down and have a beer with Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson Experience. I come here to educate, inform, and inspire. And this is a platform for leaders and followers, hopeful optimists, careful pragmatists, people who want to bend the arc of the universe towards justice. I hope I have moved you a bit in that direction. But if not, I will try again next time. But as for you, remember you have talents and gifts and achievements to pursue and a race to run. So go and do it. Thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson Experience. We have a new webpage, the Stephen Thompson Experience. Check it out. Subscribe to my blog. Subscribe to my newsletter. Hear about my book, my published book, and the next book that is coming out. We are so grateful to be able to spend this time with you. And we will see you again coming up soon with our fourth edition of the five-part Jesus series. Take care and have a wonderful week.